Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A very good morning to you. And the email is open 24-7 to you, Cork Today at c103.ie. And a story actually that we spoke about yesterday on the programme is making some of the papers today and that's to do with the former hotel in West Cork. That's the Lake House Hotel in Inchigila. It's been announced now that it's going to house a number of families who are seeking international protection. This is after Ukrainian refugees who have been living there they're being relocated. They're moving out of the hotels. And yesterday uh, we heard about this from the Cork Northwest, Fine Gael. Uh, Dahl Deputy Michael Creed, who told us from next week, the 20th of uh, February, uh, he has been informed and got confirmation from the Department of Integration that the Lake House Hotel in Inchigila, there will be a number of families with school going at children. He wanted to, I think he was at pains yesterday to join us on the programme just to dispel the myth that it's going to be all uh, men going there. It's not. It's going to be families with uh, school going children. And he said that confirmed from from the Department of Integration who and the Department of Integration also feel that the numbers that are involved, I think there's 35 beds in total in that um, uh, accommodation. So that's what that's the maximum number that will be staying there. And in the main, they're going to be newly arrived international protection applicants. But the department believes that the number involved is appropriate for a village of uh, Inchigila's size because often worries, local worries go around if people think that there's a large number coming into an area that they just don't have the services uh, uh, for. But when we were chatting yesterday with Michael Creed, he mentioned that the the country had a sufficient supply, either said sufficient supply or an oversupply of accommodation for uh, Ukrainian refugees. And that was picked up by a couple of people yesterday who were surprised to hear that there was sufficient accommodation for Ukrainian refugees. Well, it's very much backed up by a story in the papers today that says the government is actually turning down any new offers of hotels or B&B accommodation for Ukrainian refugees. The government, we know, they want to open six designated accommodation centres for refugees and they're going to open them around the country. They haven't stated yet where the locations are going to be, but the idea would be you'd have these large accommodation centres that would house new arrivals for 90 days and the idea would be 
for the international protection applicants that they will be processed within that 90 days and told whether they could stay or not. Now, some hotels and B&Bs have already been contracted and they're going to be turned into accommodation centres. So they're going to hold on to the ones they've contracted, but they're certainly not signing up any new hotels or B&Bs. So any hotel owner who thinks... I want to give up the hotel business and I want to go into uh, looking after asylum seekers instead. If they now go to the state, they'll be told, no, we have enough. The Department of Integration says it wants a reduction in the overall number of privately owned accommodation being used, especially for Ukrainian refugees. They say every week Ukrainians are leaving state accommodation. Obviously, that's what's happened in, in Chigila. They're uh, either moving on themselves and they found somewhere to live because nobody wants to live full time in a hotel so they've been managed to be able to secure privately rented accommodation but others we know have returned back to Ukraine and they, they say where possible the department is making use of vacancies arriving within arising within the existing system for those currently arriving are to accommodate those who need to be moved due to maybe like a contract ending up. Then they say in light of this and obviously there's also a lower number of Ukrainians arriving. The department uh, is now uh, presently contracting, not attracting additional uh, accommodation for uh, Ukrainians, either for new or existing providers. The department said there are no Ukrainian refugees currently living in tents. All that arrived have been accommodated. So these six large centres, when they're all up and running, there will be a total of three and a half thousand beds and they'll be set up. They'll house uh, newly arrived and they will also be used for Ukrainians uh, in addition to 3,600 beds which are across six separate centres which are solely used for asylum seekers and then while living in these centres we know that the terms and conditions for Ukrainians arriving under the temporary protection orders, uh, how much they receive financially that has been lowered uh, they will live in these centres and they will receive €38.80 uh, a week. Uh, the department has turned away providers who wanted to house Ukrainians saying it is currently sufficiently, they have a sufficient supply of accommodation. However, it added there is currently sufficient demand for the housing of asylum seekers. And they're saying it's strongly recommending uh, hoteliers to open their properties to international protection applicants. And that there was a story that was breaking yesterday at the D Hotel in uh, Drahada. The owners there have decided to close as a hotel and instead they're going to house international protection applicants and that news hasn't gone down too well because it's a very large hotel in Drahada and of course people are worried about the implications of taking a hotel out of business, the implications for tourists coming to the area if there's not going to be uh, enough beds. There was a 177% increase in the numbers of international protection applicants last year that was compared with before the pandemic and more than twice as many men applied for international protection last year to women, but nearly 3,000 were children who applied for asylum. More than 2,000 people who submitted applications came from Nigeria and that's the highest number from any one country. Almost 1,500 came from Algeria and 1,500 coming from Algeria is interesting because Algeria now is a country that has been deemed a safe 
country. So it'll be interesting to see, will we see a fall off and people from Algeria trying to claim uh, asylum? There was also about a hundred and a thousand one hundred came from Afghanistan. So in total, 13,277 applicants for international protection was received by the department last year. And that was slightly down on the previous year. And then added on to that, more than 166,000 visa applications were received last year. Now, the bulk of those obviously were coming for people who want to come to this country to work there's been an increase in that, 22% increase on the previous year. Uh, 86% of those who applied for a visa application were approved. Top nationalities, people coming here to work came from India, China, Nigeria, Turkey and Pakistan. And of course, also in that number of visa applications, I'm, in, I'm assuming also our family members of citizens of the EU because they can apply under EU treaty uh, rights. And a number of those applicants also increased. Actually, they increased uh, significantly since 2020. There was 4,670 in 2020, but there was almost 7,000 7, applied last year. And they're obviously family members of EU citizens who are already living and working here and their families want to come and uh, join them. 0818103103 but it looks like with the fall off I suppose in the number of Ukrainians arriving here and the number of Ukrainians now that are starting to put down roots and are starting to uh, work they want to move out of the that type of accommodation like hotel and B&B accommodation and they want to move into their own accommodation and they seem to be they, m- they must be managing uh, to rent their own uh, properties. And just on the whole issue of uh, immigrants uh, John was on to say isn't Michal Martin or Tonishta a decent man giving 20 million euro of taxpayers money to UNRWA uh, yesterday wouldn't it be more in his line to put the money into putting roofs over people's heads the people who are coming into this country there's an old saying charity starts at home how many people would you house with uh, 20 million euro John thinks it's a joke ah John I, I really don't know if I go so far as to say uh, it's uh, a joke I was actually quite proud of our Tonister Micheál Martin uh, saying that he would give the money to uh, UNRWA because it's the it's the United Nations Age Agency for Palestinian Refugees and any of us that are watching what's going on on the TV will know that if uh, more and more countries turn their back on UNRWA they won't have the money to look after those uh, people. So Ireland have, through Micheál Martin he's pledged 20 million in support and he's actually he's asked other countries to reverse their suspension of funding to uh, UNRWA uh, particularly for the for the packages that they need for the Palestinian uh, refugees. I mean the, the sites that we are seeing on a daily basis are coming out of uh, coming out of Gaza it's just getting worse and, and, and worse and you just think these people cannot survive without some kind of humanitarian help and the only humanitarian help going in is, is in, in the main it's the, it's the it's going in from uh, UNRWA so I actually can understand where Micheál Martin was uh, coming from would you agree with John that he was wrong uh, to be giving that money and that instead that money should be spent here at home Nothing's going to stop us here at C103 from giving you a chance to win big and it all kicks off next Monday on C103. We've got thousands upon thousands in free money up for grabs. All you have to do is snap the app. We need you to download the C103 app to your phone. If you haven't already done it, we'll be asking you to snap a screenshot and then from next Monday, stay listening for your chance to WhatsApp in that screenshot. If we call you back, 
you'll go into a daily draw which will happen in the afternoon with Martina. She will ring one of our qualifiers back and that person will win €500 Euro worth of free money across every day next week. That's Snap the app, download today and please, please be ready to play because we're kicking it off next Monday on the 19th of February only on C103. And the shortage of dental services for school children in West Cork was highlighted by Senator Tim Lombard with a call to end the HSE recruitment embargo and to put incentives in place to encourage dentists to work in rural areas. Now last November Fianna Gael councillor Caroline Cronin submitted a motion on the reduction of dental clinics in West Cork and she submitted that to the HSE forum and Caroline joins me to outline exactly what is going on in West Cork. Good morning to you Caroline. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome uh, to you're welcome to the program. Now, last last November, you had concerns because there was only three dental clin- clinics uh, open in West Cork. I believe that that number has gone down to two. What exactly is happening? Yeah, that's correct. Um, so there was always uh, six dental clinics uh, serving the people of West Cork, and now it's only Bantry and Clonakilty that remain open. So Skibbereen, Castletown Bear, Dunmanway, and Skull have all been closed. So my question um, back in November to the HSE was: I asked them to please review the children's dental service in West Cork. Um, you know, the, the, the main question was: How can new, fully equipped clinics be left to close? you know, when there's such a need and a demand for this. So we all know um, back even when I was a child in school, um, you know, children were seeing the dentist in first class, third class and again in sixth class. And they would have received really important dental care. So they'd be given fissure seals to protect and prevent any damage, you know, or or further decay to teeth. And then with regular checkups, they would be, you know, they got really good care. Mm. Um, And at this you know, so with all this, um, this would be the, a vital point for orthodontic treatment to be um, highlighted or extractions, fillings and so on. So the, the chances were that by reaching adulthood, they'd have really, really good teeth. And now um, children would be really lucky if they will be seen in sixth class. So imagine. So the first, so many- first and third, the visits in first class and third class is gone. Taken away, absolutely taken away with no warning or, or nothing. And this is all because of the four clinics that are now closed so imagine for the first time children will you know at 12 and 13 years of age will be the first time that many children will see a dentist which is just not good enough and at that stage they've got their full they've got their adult teeth they could already start having problems fillings extractions exactly i just really feel that it's you know children are being left down by taking this fantastic service away you know the the hsc school dental has service has always been brilliant and so efficient you know, um, for example, here in Skull and the Mizzen, we have a fantastic brand new primary care centre with a purpose built dental unit. It's got all the modern equipment and now it's just sitting there idle with the doors closed. Some, you know? Somebody probably goes in once a week and gives it a quick dust. It's just yeah, well, uh, it's, it's, and if you if parents can pay to go private, I'm assuming that's what some parents are doing, Caroline, is it? Well, it, it, ha- they have to do that, yeah. Now, like the HSC did respond to me. So I sent in the motion back in November and two days ago, I got a response to say that they are prioritising children in sixth class and that if um, then the children under 16 years of age will be seen, but only in the case of an emergency. So if a child presents with acute dental pain or an infection, they will be seen. But where they'll be seen and when they'll be seen, I just don't know, because with the staff under so much pressure, the, the, with Bantry and Clannacilty being the only places open and they're actually running on only two and a half staff. So that's two full-time and one part-time staff. 
So with this pressure, I don't know, will, will children be seen in an emergency? Is but, it possible? But there's also something wrong in the HSC pointing out that the only way you can, or, or the one way you're guaranteed to get in to see a dentist is if the child is suffering from chronic dental pain and infection. That means something exactly. seriously has gone wrong with that child's yep. oral health. Absolutely. Now, I, it's, I, I, according to an article that I read in the Irish Times towards the end of last year, uh, it said that it stated that dentists are, were exempt from the recruitment freeze. Yeah. And I also noticed that the HSE have advertised for dentists in Tipperary. So I'm wondering, my big question is, why is it West Cork that's getting such a hard time? Why is it West Cork that's, you know, being affected by this recruitment freeze? You know? But I, what, what I thought was interesting from your point of view was when you first raised this, the number of dental clinics had gone from six down to three. And now by the time yeah. you get your response, it's gone from six down to two. Do you know yeah. why the Dunmanway Clinic, that was the last one to close, that closed before Christmas, I think, did it? It closed before Christmas. And to, my, to the best of my knowledge, it, there was just no warning. I know the Skull Clinic closed because our fantastic um, dentist there, Denise, she moved away. And, you know, obviously she would have given her notice and enough time to ha- to be replaced, but she just wasn't replaced. The door was closed and that was it. So I presume it's something similar in Dunmanway. Now, I did speak recently to um, a, a lovely school, de- uh, she's not a school dentist, she's just a regular dentist. She lives locally and she told me that she'd be more than happy to take on this job, but she's not on the panel. Um, and with the recruitment freeze, she can't be put on this panel. So, um, you know, it's really frustrating because... She's willing to do the work. She's willing to, you know, she'd be fantastic. And yet she can't because of this recruitment freeze. And the two you know? clinics that are open, Bantry and Clonakilty, have they both got a full-time dentist? Are they working the full hours? Yeah, but so between the two of them, but they're under serious pressure. So they're, the, the two clinics have two full-time staff and one part. Now that's between the two clinics, you know, so they're okay. obviously sharing it all out. So you could say two and a half staff is what they have. But so it means it means geographically there's no dental clinic on the Mizzen Peninsula. Nope. And equally down in Castletown there. So all those kids from Ardgroom, from, you know, Iris, all of that, they, they'll have to go to at least Bantry, if not Clannacilty, for an appointment. And, you know, it was always so efficient. Like, say, for me, I was I had three children in the school here. I'd pop to the school, collect my child, bring her to her appointment, be back in school within 40 minutes. You know, there, it was no major, you know, hassle for anybody. But now mm. parents are going to have to take day off work if they'll, if they'll get these appointments. Yeah, it's, it's, if, it's if and when they'll get the appointments. But it's just shocking to think that the children are going to be in sixth class before they'll get to see yeah. a dentist. You know, and, and let's be honest, there are families who can't afford to go private. And then <laughs> if you even think about going private, Caroline, if you think of something like orthodontic work, I mean, that's hugely, hugely uh, expensive. There must yeah. be children on uh, waiting lists lingering there as well. Yeah, there are. There's there's huge. Um, I know Senator Lumberg got um, a lot of information on this and he's all the statistics on it. But again, yeah, this, and it, this is vital because at seven, eight years of age, when they'll be checked, this is the perfect time for them to highlight the orthodontic treatment that they'll need, you know, and, and then they put them on the public list. So they're, you know, by the time they should be in sixth class, they'll have their orthodontic um, treatment. Then that's the way it was. But I mean, so now by the time if it's highlighted in sixth class, It'll be they'll be in sixth year probably in, in secondary school before they'll be getting orthodontic treatment. And they'll be out, they'll like, be out of the system. Let's be honest, they'll be exactly. out of the system, and then there'll be adults trying to get the money together to get their teeth fixed. One hundred, yeah. So look, what I would love to see is if the clinics could reopen, it would be amazing, even if it was only a day or two in the week, to take the pressure off the Bantry and Clonakilty clinics. Yeah. Um, 
you know, that would. And now I don't think it's it's too late because the clinics are still there. They're all equipped. Um, you know, I just think, you know, to, to save the clinics, it's just an injustice to the children of West Cork. It seems to be only West Cork that these that this is happening, you know, and here we are again fighting for our services. You know? And it seems to be such a waste that we have these clinics. I'm, I'm assuming they're all in primary healthcare centres, are they? Yeah, yeah, most, yeah, yeah, and like, which means they're fabulously equipped. And yeah, like, you know, and as well as that, a huge issue will be um, kids will be will have a serious phobia of the dentist if they're only seeing them for yeah. the first time. Yeah, all these um, little issues that will be. Yeah, because you, I mean, you, a lot of adults, you know, if we were to open the phone lines on what's, what's your memories of, of going to the dentist as a child, people have horror stories, whereas we were well moving away from that because children were going yeah. into the dentist, there was nothing wrong with their teeth, so it was just getting an examination, getting the fissure seals uh, put on, yeah. so they all had wonderful experience of the dentist, yeah. so then when, God forbid, if something did go wrong, you know, they didn't have this big fear and they weren't avoiding going. Exactly, yeah. And say, out of my three children, only one of them has had a filling because of the dental care that they got yeah. from an early age. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and that's, well, and, and I remember years ago doing an interview when Fisher's Seals first came out, and that's what it was being hailed as. We'll be seeing, we'll have generations of children who won't know what a filling is uh, because their yeah. teeth are, are protected. But we're just, it's like we're going backwards. But this, uh, Caroline, while I know and I understand that you're highlighting this from a West Cork point of view, this is a nationwide uh, issue. I mean, we have a massive problem in that we don't have enough dentists. And if you go mm-hmm. right back, we're not training enough dentists. And the front page of the examiner today is running with a story from University College uh, Cork. They've now dropped their plans for the Cork University Dental School and Hospital to move on to a bigger site. There's been talks about doing that for a number of years. So frustrating for the staff there because the site they're in is just not, is just not suitable. But the other problem, even with that dental hospital that we have in Cork. I remember we've only two nationwide, we've, uh, they, they, but the one here in Cork, they train around 50 dentists every year. But of those 50 dentists, only about half are Irish dentists. The other half are international students who come here to train as dentists and then go back home. So we're not even, we're not even training. We need to train more dentists. So that new dental school, a larger dental school and hospital is so badly needed. Yeah. It absolutely is, yeah. And I suppose, in fairness to, to um, Minister Simon Harris, he's doing all kinds of wonderful things to, you know, highlight and make things easier for, for college students to get into courses. So that's definitely something he should look at as well. You know, drop the point system for dentists, you know, highlight it, the need for them for, for new dentists all over Ireland. Yeah. Okay, I can see somebody saying, hi, Tom, I've just referenced this. Tom says, Patricia UCC are abandoning the plans for the dental school in Corohenia. I've just uh, mentioned that. Uh, someone else says, probably, the, uh, hi, Tricia, the problem with dentists for children is a nationwide issue. It's not just cur- cur- curtailed to West Cork. I'm living in Formoy. They only see and deal with children in sixth class. Exactly what you mm-hmm. were saying, Caroline, in, in West Cork are if they're in special classes. My daughter needs four fillings. And even though she has a medical card and has a disability, a private dentist cannot use that medical card. I'm going to have to pay. If she was in a unit or a special school, she would have had the fillings done. But because because she's in mainstream, even though she has a disability, uh, she falls under a different category. We can go on a list, but that list will take four years. By de- by then, her teeth will even be worse. It's just, it's a cra- and 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 I, I it's it's an awful indictment on our society when we are allowing parents who can afford it 
to pay to get their children's teeth and those who can't are left with their children and it's going to cause huge problems uh, once again for for another generation of adults. It's so unfair, Caroline, isn't it? It really is. It's it's a real injustice to our children, um, you know, not just West Cork, all children all over Ireland that have been affected by this. But again, my, my big question is why, you know, I think it can be fixed if this recruitment freeze is is lifted. And like I said, I have read that dentists were not, um, dentists were exempt from this freeze. So like it, there's a huge question there, you know, why? Why why, it's, why it can't be lifted, you know, and just sort it out. And if, if the dentists have to be on this panel, why why is that the case if there's other people that are willing to um, to fill in? I'm, I'm sure at this stage there's probably retired dentists that will come out and, and help with this situation, yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And your fellow councillor Declan Hurley, who's, who's in Dunmanway, uh, says, listening to your discussion on lack of dental services, the Dunmanway Dental Clinic closed just before Christmas. That particular clinic catered for 15 local schools. Now, all of those schools have to uh, pass on to the already under pressure Bantry and Clonakilty services. I am worried that the current state of the children's dental service is not sustainable and it's resulting in parents having only two choices available to them. They either pay approximately 4,000 euros to be seen privately, obviously that's orthodontic work which many families can't afford or they let their children on a growing waiting list and just hope and pray they'll one day be called. The decline in children's dental services mean the children are now only being seen in sixth class whereas before children in checkups in first and third, uh, which we've mentioned I, I very much support Councillor Caroline Cronin's concerns at a recent council meeting because children's dental health services is very serious and a vulnerable position and it's putting our children's dental health at risk and especially wishes it's Councillor Declan uh, Hurley and I imagine every single councillor uh, across not just West Cork, Caroline uh, across the whole county will be very supportive uh, in what you're saying. Absolutely. Look, anyone that has children and, you know, like I said, my own went through the thing, the the HSC dental care and I was always so thankful and grateful to the to the service, you know, um, that my children would have received over the years. And I suppose in a way we took it for granted because it was always just there. And now it's, it's you know, that all the centres are closing down, the clinics are closing. And we'll be really lucky if we hold Bantry and Clannacilty open. Because again, with the staff under so much pressure, you know, it's a, it's a huge worry. It really is. Yeah. OK, listen, Caroline, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you so much, Patricia. Have a lovely weekend. Uh, you too. Uh, good morning to you. That is West Cork Fine Gael Councillor uh, Caroline uh, Cronin. Uh, somebody says, Patricia, listen to your conversation on the dental clinics. The €20 million Euro that was spoken about that Micheál Martin gave to UNRWA, wouldn't that go a long way to help the children and their dental problems? And Mick is also picking up on that and says, Trish, why doesn't Micheál Martin put that €20 million into building a proper dental school uh, in Cork? A new basket of goods to work out the cost of living in Ireland has just been announced by the Central Statistics Office and for the first time in eight years the basket has been updated. So to chat about what's in and what's out I'm joined by John Byrne who's Head of Communications at the Central Statistics Office. Good morning to you John. Good morning Patricia. Now John firstly how many items are in this basket every year? There's more than 600 items in it. And And it's not just food items? No uh, there's food and technology and so it, it's essentially what people are spending their money on. And we use it then as a, a baseline to help us understand uh, price changes in the economy that people are experiencing. And that feeds into the official measure of inflation. So, and you normally update it every five years, don't you? We do. Uh, and But it was delayed because of, of COVID, because of the pandemic. 
but uh, so we're, re- we're rebasing it now uh, and it's been updated. So a number of changes. Uh, I think the, the main uh, piece that people seem to be taking from it is there's a real strong historical interest piece in terms of the social story of Ireland based on what we spend our money on. So we've seen it um, just this week in terms of uh, we're putting in air fryers, for instance, and uh, smart watches, uh, and, but taking out digital cameras and landline telephone packages. Uh, also, Swiss rolls uh, are getting a lot of attention as yeah, well. Yeah, I have uh, to say. <laughs> now, now, I have to also say I had to stop and think, when did I last buy a Swiss roll? But it, are you saying that they're just gone out of fashion? It, it, it means that people are spending less money on them. Okay. So uh, we get information from, from retailers and they'll, that'll give us data in terms of uh, where money is being spent on which products. We'll also uh, tally that information with what we get from the Household Budget Survey, which uh, is a, ro- a survey that uh, we went out with recently asking people to participate. We help you track your spending over two weeks and that gives us really valuable information in terms of Uh, how people are spending their money and uh, the relative weight attached to it. So uh, for Swiss rolls, we also uh, would have teams, collectors going out into shops. So we've noticed then from all that information that less money has been spent on on Swiss rolls. It's a changing trend. It's a really uh, un, unusual one. I wasn't surprised uh, to see um, what got added to the basket, things like uh, milk substitute and meat substitutes. And I think that's got a lot to do with people going vegetarian, going vegan, and people also finding themselves intolerant to various foodstuffs. And I'm assuming that's the reason why there's a, a bigger push towards those type of foods. Yes, very much so. It, it's about changing trends and tastes. Um, we'll see it in terms of, you know, ribeye steak is has been added to the basket. Uh, spring onions, uh, for instance. Also, um, in, in terms of alcoholic drinks, uh, gin is, is back in the uh, in the basket, and that was out for, since about two thousand and one. So, it it really does capture the changing trends in terms of people's shopping, and um, but also there's a real social story to that as well. Um, but also the technology piece. Uh, if you go back uh, further into into the decades, there's even richer information in terms of what came in and what came out at different times. For instance, you know, if you go right back to 1975, you know, cassettes were added in. Um, then in the 80s, you would have had, you know, uh, power drills, video recorders, um, deep fat fryers, for instance. Um, <laughs> you know, um <laughs> Power lawnmowers going in in the 80s, manual uh, lawnmowers going out, same with record players and black and white TVs being taken out. So you see it right throughout the years, a real contrast in terms of where money is being spent. A Walkman's been added in in the 80s, for instance, and Lego so forth and so on. Then when you get to the 90s, taking or adding in filtered coffee, taking out the pint of milk and um, added in low fat milk uh, or, and printers and PCs. So right throughout the years, you see um, where money is uh, being spent or where it's not being spent to the same extent. And that all feeds into how we track uh, to give an update in terms of the cost of living and inflation. Yeah, it certainly is a great reflection on society. Even when, when you look back, um, I was poring over all the information that uh, you released uh, yesterday. Even things like when, you know, the good times were here, uh, you had to add champagne into the basket. That's a very interesting one, Patricia. Yes, in 2006, we added in uh, champagne, which is a, it's called fine quality wines and champagnes. It came out in 2011, um, would you believe, and uh, went back in then in 2016. 
Good times are back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it, it is interesting um, in terms of the, the change over those few years in terms of where where money was being spent or where it wasn't. Yeah, but even things like um, those of us will remember going down to the DVD store or the video store uh, to rent out on a, on a Friday night for the weekend what you were going to be uh, watching. And of course, we saw all those like you were what were they? You were efficient. What was the you were the, the shops you used to go to to get your DVDs oh, and your videos? Like a blockbuster. Yeah, and the extra vision. That's the one I'm, I'm, yeah. I was thinking of. They all they all closed. So obviously, they had been in the shopping basket because we were spending money on those. But suddenly, we weren't spending money. On on those anymore. That's correct, yes. Uh, 2016, we added in streaming services, for instance. And uh, so, um, you know, people now will be looking at different streaming services as a um, as a way of, of accessing films and so on. You, you no longer obviously go down to the, to the, uh, the exhibition or wherever else to rent your videos. So it's uh, very much a change in, in terms of what's happening socially and, and we see that then in terms of where people are spending their money. And I imagine, John, if you had looked at this during the pandemic, hand gel and face masks would probably have that's, featured. That's very interesting, yes. Uh, it had, had that been the case, had, had that been the uh, the year we were looking at, uh, very, that would have been very likely um, because it is, it's a reflection of where people are spending their money. So that's, that's very, very much the case, yes. Not surprised but disappointed uh, to see that uh, disposable vapes they're in. Yes, yes. Um, it, it, it certainly seems to be um, a, a, an emerging trend and I know there's been a lot of discussion about that. So, but that is what the um, what the basket of goods will capture, where, where money is being spent. So it is a reflection then in terms of what's happening in, in, in society. So uh, uh, certainly it's an emerging trend. Yeah. And if you go back to like the 70s and 1975, you had to add cigarette lighters. Obviously, a lot of people uh, were uh, smoking. But what came out in 1975, writing ink, with the ink we used to put into our fountain pens, that was taken out. Along with Bovril, we ended up having a discussion on The Breakfast Show about uh, Bovril. Why, I wonder why Bovril went out of fashion in 1975. Yes, uh, that, that is one because, you know, it's, it's, still, it's still on shelves, but it's, it's the relative weighting in terms of um, the uh, amount that's spent on the product or even the, um, when our, our collectors go out, if they ha- can see it on the shelves. Um, for instance, uh, or else if it's coming through from the information from from retailers. So it's, you know, probably more products are more choice. And then uh, it's the relative weighting uh, that previously it would have been more popular, but became less so possibly. Yeah. And I know in the UK, uh, John, they change their baskets annually. So I suppose the fact if you if the, if you do it annually, you, they're only going to see very subtle uh, changes. But ours are brilliant in that you get much more significant changes because of that five year gap are now uh, nearly an eight year gap. Yes, yes. Uh, so the changes can be, yeah, as you said, um, are, are very clear. We are um, moving to a, a rolling household budget survey model. So there may be opportunities coming out of that for, for more frequent updates or changes. And um, we launched the latest version of the household budget survey just last month. And just I would encourage anybody who has approached um, to participate in that to do so. Um, it is a very valuable survey in terms of the information that, is, first of all, it's all entirely confidential, but the information that is received is very helpful in terms of calculating the measure of uh, inflation. But also we get very strong feedback from participants that they track their spending for, for two weeks, inter- inter- including keeping receipts and so forth. 
and it gives them a real insight into where their money is going. Okay. And people find that very helpful. So if if people are asked to participate, we'd very much encourage them to do so. Yeah. And, and for just for the future, for future generations of people who will be doing what we are doing now, looking back on 50 years of our shopping uh, history, it's just it's a fantastic information uh, you have released. John, thank you for that. We had a text in from John, one of our listeners, who was giving out about the fact that the Thornish, the Miho Martin yesterday uh, committed 20 million euro to uh, UNRWA for their work with Palestine. Palestinian refugees and he went on to urge other countries who have withheld their money for uh, UNRWA to, to, to reverse that decision and just, just talk about the situation that's in uh, Gaza and how badly that money is needed and he's pledged, pledged the uh, 20 million and John reckons that that's completely wrong, that that money should be spent in this country. John went so far as to say it is a joke. Well I have to say a number of people are agreeing with uh, John um, and including a listener that says a totally agree with John that 20 million could be given in my opinion to help children who are in agony waiting for operations in this country and many more who are struggling through no fault of their own no wonder all our well educated youth are leaving this country the majority of them won't come back I agree with John the country is a joke and a lot of others citing ways that that 20 million could be spent and a number of people in particular talking about coincidentally we were talking about lack of dental services for children how far would that 20 million euro go. Uh, Jim in the city has contacted us. Good morning to you, Jim. Good morning, Patricia. You, rather than saying the country is a joke, you say the country has gone stone mad. Yes, it's even worse than that. Actually, first of all, you're talking about um, Michal Martin here. Now, you remember this man, he's the man that came out before the last election and said he was really popping up seeing again in government because of Brexit. Now, under no circumstances would he go and back them in government again. We all know he did later. He's uh, up uh, in the bed with, with the, the, the okay. party. Okay, but he, he, he will say that that was for the good of the country. No, no, it wasn't for the good of the country at all because, well, you see, if Michal Martin was to go back and look at his posters that Fianna Fáil have, there's a big sign across those posters saying the Republican Party. You know what I mean? So we have to see... We have to see get the Republicanism from the way he's shining on. Yeah, but Jim, but Jim we, have that, we have that at every single election and we'll have it at the next election if it's either oh. later on this year or next year. They all say one thing when they're going to the polls and then once yeah. they get elected, they then make but their own the minds up as to what they're going to do. Time, but so now it's time that it, these people know that the people mean business. Now, as I say, this money that's been given away, now, this government have no mandate to do anything like that. Like we're throwing money out, handing out to these people. I can assure you, if we had a war in our country at the moment, they would be getting off of some of these places. They wouldn't recognize the start. They want nothing to do with us. Well, the idea is, we'd be looking across the water, Danish and the Scots, to get us out of trouble. Yeah, but the, mo- the, mo- the 20 million yesterday is, is UN money. Uh, we're part of the uh, UN, so the UN would be supporting us and looking well, after us. You would like to think if we were in, in a war situation. But hang on, the 20 million for UNRWA, this is for the uh, the Palestinian refugees. Surely you're watching the news and you're seeing what's happening over there. I mean, would you yeah, begrudge but, 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 those but people? Who, There's nobody is people that's cut support. And Yehar Mountain is doing the opposite. Like he's actually going against Europe. You know what I mean? Like, like, 
he's going to eventually before he's finished, they'll have to say no more. Because he's talking and moaning the tube mail and we're supposed to be a neutral country. Well, this is humanitarian aid. This is well, when the humanitarian aid is going to tell this man is out there moaning off and he will get us into serious trouble with the statements he's making. Well, he's, he he's calling to, out what Israel are doing as wrong. I mean, is, is, are you saying no, no, he shouldn't he, be doing that? He, can, can you see every other country do, coming out and shouting out and roaring? Oh, well, but, well, Jim, stop Jim no, there's, no. A, there's a lot of can people, there's a lot of countries calling out what Israel are doing. There's a lot of people are identifying it as genocide of the Palestinian people. There's a lot it's of people a, this, saying this, that. This, 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 this is not the point. He's going against Europe. He's going against what we're part of. And he has no mandate to do anything what he's doing. Well, well he, has, he has a mandate in that he's elected. Not from the people of Ireland. He got no mandate for this. But, you know but I mean? we, like, we, we elect our politicians. They then it, form a government. And that's their mandate is from the people of Ireland. It, yes, but if he was honest, if he was honest, but he, he shouldn't be a mean government. The last election, he see what happened. They got wiped. Yeah, but it's, and, yeah. you know I mean, they like, just farcical. And nobody can back this man up or back up the Artesia. Okay, so we you think... Country, we have a country gone wild here with the cost of living and everything, and they don't give a care. And this thing that's going on at the moment in the Ukraine and everywhere else, this is suits them, it does, because, you see, it's keeping people's minds off the true story was that in our own country. Okay, so you feel the 20 million should be, and, and I have to say there's a number of people that are agreeing with you, the 20 million yeah. should have been spent and stay here in this country. Okay, thank you for that, uh, Jim. Uh, John in uh, Mallow says we've taken in, we've literally taken in too many international uh, protection applicants and we've also taken in too many Ukrainians. This is affecting the tourism sector, particularly with hotels that have been handed over to uh, house them. We simply cannot afford this as uh, a country, particularly when the money is needed in so many other sectors. And can I just stay on Ukrainians? Because somebody says, Patricia, um, you know you were talking about animals that have been brought in from Ukraine. I'm wondering, are they put into isolation uh, and is Ukraine rabies free? Well, I actually checked and they brought in new guidelines actually since July, I think, of last uh, year uh, to do with the animals coming in. I think up to that, what was happening was a lot of the pets were self-quarantining with their owners, but they do all have to be microchips, they all have to have valid rabies vaccinations. Any of the animals, for example, that have been in an EU country for six months or more have to have the, you know, the passport that we all have to have. So there are very strict guidelines on pets uh, coming into this country. And I know at the start of the Ukrainians coming to uh, Ireland, there was a huge shout out because they were quarantining uh, certain pets, certainly back in uh, 2022. And kennels were being sought all over the country in order to quarantine Ukrainian um, pets. But there was special arrangements that were put in place where the pet could self-isolate um, but uh, they all have to have their rabies in injection so I don't I haven't heard of any fear of rabies coming into this country but I know where you're coming from uh, which is hot passion uh, thank you for that 0818 103 103 uh, Michael in West Cork says Patricia absolutely agree with Councillor Caroline Cronin who you spoke with about the children's dental services in West Cork it is a very very serious situation but the root causes has to be addressed the root cause 
causes, says Michael. It's all the sugary food that these children are eating. Everything you pick up today has a high sugar content, which is more palatable to the humans, but is much more damaging to their oral health and in their general health overall, says Michael. Nobody seems to be calling out why children's teeth are being affected. 0818-103-103. And just staying on a West Cork uh, issue, lacking in services. This is from uh, Martin, who says, Patricia, by Bantry Psychiatric Hospital is being renovated and won't be open for at least five to six months while that renovation work goes on. That's the loss of 18 beds in the West Cork area. And that is, mightn't sound like a lot of beds, but it is a great loss to the general area of West Cork. Psychiatric patients in West Cork now are being transferred to already bursting at the seams Cork City psychiatric facilities. We need the HSE uh, to take the initiative of advising people in West Cork and giving guidelines to help people from preventing psychiatric patients needing hospitalisation. There are techniques that patients can take to help prevent sudden admissions to psychiatric units. We need to hear guidelines from the HSE. Surely that would help prevent hospital admissions. And that's from Martin in West Cork by WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. Clear Wide Environmental are looking for a marketing manager to work across the Irish group with posts including video. Call 087-706-8533. Carebright are recruiting home care workers. This is home care workers for the Fomoy area. Please apply to carebright.ie. The Irish Wheelchair Association, they've got vacancies for personal healthcare assistance. It's to support evening services in Mallow. Now, further details are available on their website, which is irishwheelchairassociation.com. And rigid truck drivers, they're wanted to work 20 hours per week in the Cork area. Uh, you can call them on 087 275 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. We were contacted this week by email by a listener who is desperate to help her child who needs additional help due to a dyslexia diagnosis. This mother had gone down the private route but unfortunately ended up paying money for a service that was well below par. So to offer advice to her and indeed to other families who are faced with this dilemma, I'm joined by Rosie Bissett, who is CEO of the Dyslexia Association of Ireland. Good morning to you, Rosie. Morning, Patricia. You're welcome. And uh, having you on is always a good opportunity to talk about dyslexia. So let's talk a little about it uh, first. Roughly how many people do you believe live with dyslexia? Well, the broad international consensus, Patricia, would be that about one in 10 of the population would have some degree of dyslexia, but it very much is on a spectrum. So for some, it will be very mild and they may manage possibly even unidentified. But obviously, the more significant and severe the dyslexia is, the more it's going to have an impact. And certainly for for those individuals getting their dyslexic profile identified and getting sufficient and adequate, you know, specialist supports will be really critical for them uh, in terms of making progress. And typically, what age is it diagnosed at? 
Well, you can identify dyslexia from mid-senior infants level onwards. Certainly kind of around about six and a half would be certainly when we would uh, assess, uh, be happy to assess from. However, in the school system, it would very challenging to get a diagnosis at that age with an EPS psychologist through school. Um, and oftentimes parents or, you know, schools may be inclined to think, oh, maybe they'll grow out of it. We still have a bit of a legacy with COVID where people are going, oh, it's just a COVID effect, you know, they'll catch up, etc. Um, but look, we know for decades now that, you know, for children with dyslexic profiles, this is something that they're born with a, a predisposition to this, you know, and certainly it is much better in terms of long-term outcomes if they know and understand their profile and, and how they learn and if they get those supports early as opposed to you know waiting for them to have continual failure which is really damaging for their self-esteem um, and then obviously it's a lot harder then to try and turn things around if they're not identified until 12 or 16 or into adulthood you know. And is that still happening? It does still happen. I would say it's it's certainly less than when I, you know, certainly was start, started first working in the area. But it still does happen. There are kids still slipping through, not being not being caught. You know, yeah. sometimes it is more likely to be the kids maybe on the milder, moderate end of the scale. But we would still occasionally see children who are coming for an assessment at twelve, and they're at like the first or the second percentile in yeah. terms of reading ability, yeah. which is obviously you know hugely advantaging you know a child who's then about to perhaps going into going into second level um so yeah like access to assessment is still a big challenge you know and then if insufficient support is available in the school um then obviously you know many parents you know are looking and doing their best and trying to get supports uh, outside of school as well yeah because it was only a few weeks ago i spoke with a wonderful wonderful man in his um 50s who was only diagnosed as an adult uh, he had gone for help with literacy and it was mm-hmm. d- discovered then that uh, he was uh, dyslexic and got the help he needed and you know to hear him talk about how his life had been affected by it and he never realized it was dyslexia was his problem he just went through the whole school system and i know t- times were very different when he was in school thinking he was a bit yeah. stupid and a bit thick, you know, but he was just talking about, and and of course that's not uncommon uh, for adults uh, to be diagnosed with uh, dyslexia. Is it hereditary? Yes, we know that certainly in the vast majority of cases, there's absolutely a genetic component. So it's usually somewhere within the family line. So whether that's a parent, an aunt or an uncle, a cousin, a grandparent, it's usually there. Now, having said that, when you look at the older generations, as you just mentioned, the likelihood of the dyslexia being actually identified and diagnosed, obviously, if you're looking at parents or grandparents' generations, the further you go back, the less likely that someone had a formal let's say, identification. But certainly when people look at the kind of patterns of difficulties that someone experienced with literacy, with learning, with memory, things like that, you know, they're usually there somewhere within the family. And it's quite a common thing that we see oftentimes when parents bring their kids for assessments, you know, as the psychologist is giving feedback and describing, you know, their child's profile to them, they're they're all they're they're almost kind of going, God, this you're literally you're describing me and you're describing the experiences that I had when I was in school, wow. you know. So it's it's quite quite common. Okay. How is it di- how is it diagnosed? So in Ireland, dyslexia is uh, diagnosed by uh, an assessment with an educational psychologist. 
Um, in an ideal world, you would love every child to be able to get that assessment through school with the school psychological service, which is NEPS. But obviously, they're very understaffed and not able to meet the level of demand at all. And I suppose, as you've probably heard from from listeners or and even from schools, you know, schools have limited access to their assigned mm-hmm. NEPS psychologists. So they're maybe getting, you know, a couple of assessments a year, um, which obviously isn't in keeping at all with the fact that one in 10 of the population, one in 10 of our kids in school have a dyslexic profile. So the reality for so many families is they're going privately. I know when we did our last uh, research with, with members there, it would have been about a year and half ago like it was about three quarters of individuals were getting their assessment privately. Yeah and I've spoken over the years uh, Rosie to uh, principals and teachers uh, and they're very frustrated by it because they have to then make the decision and they may know that there's five or six children that they would Mm -hmm. ideally love to send forward and they've got to make the decision of which child they're going to put forward for the assessment. Absolutely. No, I think schools are, and, and teachers are placed in a really challenging situation when, as you say, Patricia, they they know the kids. In fact, they know the kids themselves who are who have very strong, strong indicators of dyslexia and, and indeed other learning difficulties. And it's that kind of almost like Solomon's choice. You know, how do you decide which kid you'll try and, and, and push to get that assessment for, you know, um, and it's very difficult. It's very difficult for them. I really do feel I think schools are, are placed in making some really difficult situations, you know, and oftentimes in fairness to schools, they will try and bash for the five or six kids, but it'll be a case of, you know, the NEP psychologist going, well, look, I I only have X amount of time here. Yeah, so therefore it's not their fault. It's not their and fault either. It's not, yeah. No, it's not. Yeah, you know what I mean? So like on both sides, there's, you know, there's systematic pressures that are not allowing this to happen. But if uh, if parents have the wherewithal and the financial wherewithal to go private and they get a diagnosis, is that then recognised by the department? Yeah, as long as it's a, you know, a proper diagnosis by okay. an appropriately qualified educational psychologist, then yes, that that absolutely should be, you know, it's a professional report. It has to be recognised by by the school, you know. Now, I suppose sometimes what people think is things will miraculously change when you have a diagnosis, you know, um, and that you know, while it can be transformational for the individual and for the family and parents in terms of understanding, it may not mean a very significant change in what happens in school, you know, because in fairness to schools, a lot of the supports now can be put in place even prior to a formal diagnosis being in existence. So if they know that a child is struggling with literacy, that child may get, um, you know, some time with the the SCT teacher um, or that child can be considered for for various different accommodations like exemption from Irish or even accommodations in their state exams. There is a a mechanism whereby even if you don't have a diagnosis, you can access some of those supports if there's, you know, clear evidence of need. Oh, that's good. That is good good to hear. Uh, But then for parents like our mum who contacted us who want to go down the private route to get a One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Additional help outside of the mm-hmm. school as, as setting. How do you find and how do you know who is a reputable t- tutor and who might not be? Yeah, it's it's a it's a really tricky one, and as a, my heart goes out to parents in this situation, um, because I th- you know it's like like with many different sectors, there's really good people, but then there's people who you know are are not so good and do not have the appropriate qualifications. You know, um, in, in ourselves in the Dyslexia Association, we do maintain a list of tutors which we make available to our members, and we ourselves check that they are all to go on to our tutor list. They have to be a properly qualified teacher and registered with the teaching council. We have to have evidence that they have done some specialist training in relation to dyslexia and and, and uh, special educational needs. Um, but obviously, aside from and that, that list is not huge, unfortunately. OK, uh, many people, you know, will go looking privately and locally and it's word of mouth or they see an advert on Facebook or in the local paper or something like that. And I suppose really with parents, we do have some guidance um, uh, available on our website uh, around individual tuition and the kind of the issues to consider. Number one is their teaching qualifications. OK, you and I think as parents, it's sometimes we can feel when we're talking to teachers, we, we almost feel like we were a student back in school again, yeah, yeah. you know, in that kind of paradynamic. But at the same time, I think it's, you know, for the best interest of our children, you know, certainly if it was me and my child, I would not hesitate to ask for the individual's teaching qualifications and evidence of that. Um, you can ask a, teach, a teacher for their teaching council number. You can go onto the Teaching Council website and verify uh, that 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 that's that number is correct and that person is registered with the Teaching Council, which means that they do have a teaching uh, a proper teaching qualification. Um, and when I suppose when I say a teaching qualification, it's maybe important to say like what that means as well. So a teaching qualification, you're talking about a degree, a Bachelor of Education. Or um, many teachers now would have maybe a degree and then a postgraduate qualification in education. So that would be, let's say, a postgraduate certificate in education or now it's a two year master's in education. Um, Previously, there was also a a higher diploma in education uh, for second level teachers. So certainly the first thing I would say is ask the individual for verification that they are a qualified teacher um, in terms of, you know, what can you give me, you know, give me a coffee, give me or show me a copy of your, you know, your teaching qualification. Uh, can you you know, give me your, your teacher's number or can I verify that on the teacher's council? Can you provide me with evidence of, you know, any training that you have done in relation to dyslexia or in terms of special educational needs? And certainly if someone is not willing to provide those things, I, I, I red personally flags. would run a mile because yeah, I think obviously yeah. that's a huge red flag, you know. 
Um, and would you be it's like asking for references, you know, from, you know, other individuals? It's not foolproof, but, you yeah. know, it's no harm as well. Would you be aware of some who might have teaching methods that maybe are questionable? Would you hear oh, from parents? Abs- we would hear from parents. Yeah, absolutely. There are individuals out there who who are not trained teachers, maybe occasionally even some who are trained teachers, but who are not, whose methods are not uh, aligned with what we know are effective and appropriate practices in terms of how to teach literacy and what we know from the science of reading, you know. And this is people, um, this is people going private, so they're handing over their hard-earned cash. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah, it is. And I suppose, and this is, a, this is why I think it's really important to really, you know, buyer beware and really do your research about someone. And I mean, look, I've seen cases of individuals who can even even people who have, you know, social media presences and websites and things like that, where they're quite, you know, they superficially can look legit. But actually, if you kind of dig into it, they have kind of very vague details about qualifications. They might say they have a a degree and a master's. But if that degree and master's is not in education or special educational needs, it's completely irrelevant. That's mm. like saying, you know, well, I need to, you know, I need, I need to go to a doctor. I'm not going to go to just anyone who has uh, a degree or a master's. I need to go to someone who has training in medicine and in the specific specialty that I need, you know. Yeah, that's um, a good point. That's a good so, point. And, and, and of course, anyone can set up a very slick website as well. I always think for yeah. services like this, uh, Rosie, uh, word of mouth, talk to other children, uh, children's mm-hmm. parents at the school gate, find out from the school yourself, has any other child, has any other parent access local services? What services did they use? I always think that's a great way. It can, it can be helpful, but it's not foolproof. I mean, okay. I, because I suppose and I would say I'm aware of people who have ended up with, you know, inappropriately qualified individuals because someone else said, oh, I've just signed up to this person and they seem good, you know. Okay. Um, the other thing as well, though, I think is it's, it's really important is have a very clear line of communication with uh, with a tutor if you're working with them with your child. Be very clear around what is being done within that tutoring session, you know, so you want some clear kind of this is what we're going to be covering. This is the outcomes we hope, you know, that that will have and have kind of review points in it, you know. And also, if it's not working, then don't hesitate to stop, you Mm. know, because frankly, nothing is better than something that's not right or something that's wasting your your money as a parent or wasting your child's time if it's not effective, you know. So have kind of some maybe agree some clear parameters with the tutor around what is going to be covered? What are the very focused target areas that you're going to be doing? And what kind of and, and agree a time period, you know, um, where you see, you know, is it working? What sort of progress are we making? Are both are we happy? You know, do we feel it's working well or not? You know, um, and as a parent, you know, and I suppose it's also listening, listening to your child as well. What do they think of it? You know, yeah, how is it working for them? It's yeah. making, you know, it's making a difference or okay. not. And I would, I would direct people when we're talking about sick websites, I direct people, you've got a great website where people can get lots of additional information, uh, but you also have uh, recommendations for tutors as well. We do. We also actually have as well, and I suppose another one just to mention is we have a website which is called dyslexiahub.ie, which is a learning website. And actually on that we have, because I'm also always conscious, there's loads of families who 
literally don't have the means to even, you know, go the route of a private tutor. Uh, but on our Dyslexia Hub website, dyslexiahub.ie, we have a whole series of literacy videos that you can using kind of the science of reading where you can look at evidence based approaches. And even as a parent, sit down and sit down with your child and watch it and work together through those, you know, so in terms of using evidence based methods as well. Okay. Um, so just that's another thing to mention. OK, a listener says, uh, could you ask your guest? Rosie, uh, if she knows, is there a connection between dyslexia and Down syndrome? Uh, not that I'm aware of. No, not yeah. specifically. Um, I mean, there can be certainly we do recognise now that in terms of, let's say, all different kind of special educational needs or you know, what are called neurodivergent, you know, uh, profiles within the neurodiversity sphere, there can be co-occurrence. So someone can have more than one. Um, but I certainly haven't seen any research specifically linking dyslexia and Down syndrome. No, there certainly would be a lot of research linking or certainly seeing more co-occurrence with things like obviously dyscalculia which is a specific maths difficulty uh, with ADHD, dysgraphia, uh, autism as well. Uh, there were certainly co-occurrence would be, you know, there would be evidence to, to yeah. see you know, co-occurrence with all of those. OK, just very finally, just on a different topic, because when I knew you were coming on today and, uh, and as I say, I was on your website and, and just looking around the net about dyslexia yesterday. Did I read online that there's a recommendation to abolish the exemption from Irish for children with dyslexia? Uh, unfortunately, you did. We were very dismayed with that. There was a report that came out recently from the Oireachtas Committee on, on Irish and the Gaeltacht, um, which and this has caused huge upset and anger for a large proportion of, of our members, you know, um, because I suppose learning Irish is... Okay, learning Irish is 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 challenging, yeah. uh, but learning Irish when you have severe dyslexia is particularly challenging. And I think the the challenge in Ireland is that um, both of our languages, English and Irish, are both at the very complex end of what are called complex or deep orthographies. So there there is a lot of um, a lot of irregularity. There is a very large number of sound symbol correspondences you have to learn, a large amount of rules you have to learn. So they're much more complex languages than, for example, let's say something like Spanish or Italian, which are much more regular, you know, and, you know, most sounds are quite consistent, you know, letters in terms of the, the letters and sound correspondences. So for children here, having to learn both of them simultaneously particularly if you're on the more severe end of the dyslexia spectrum, is incredibly challenging. Um, and the exemption from Irish is like, I mean, most parents would say it's actually really transformative for their children yeah. in terms of just giving them the headspace, reducing anxiety and allowing them to focus on building competence in, in English, which for most people is their first language. You know? Yeah, I, I had a niece uh, a number of years ago who was um, diagnosed. Uh, she was severely dyslexic. But when they were waiting for the diagnosis to come, come through, I mean, the biggest frustration in the household in the in the evening time for homework was around Irish. I mean, the poor little uh-huh. thing used to just be in tears. And the yeah. arguments that were going on with the school was just mind boggling. Eventually, mm. she did get the exemption and the relief and the difference it made to the child. She suddenly was enjoying going to school. Yeah. She didn't have all this pressure. I mean, she already had the pressure with dealing with the, with the dyslexia yeah. when it came to English, but yeah. t- taking the Irish way. So yeah, I was blown away it, when, when I saw that, but it's only a recommendation. 
It's only a recommendation. Okay. And obviously, look, from our point of view, we hope it won't become any more than that. And certainly we will be, obviously, we have issued, we issued a response and we'll be keeping following very closely any developments in this area, because certainly we will be obviously advocating, you know, that it does need to be, it needs to be retained, you know. Um, I think there's a potentially a, a battle of ideologies, you know. I think I, I think there are, are individuals who obviously think, who have who have a huge grawl for Irish and want everyone to do it, uh, which is great. You haven't lived in yeah, it's great, a situation but, like your niece obviously yeah. has lived through, and and all of our members are in. You just don't get the challenge it, that it causes, you know. And by the way, is it, did that report come out in Irish? It did. It came out in Irish and it still isn't available in English. And we've made that point to them because it's uh, hugely, hugely inaccessible for the majority of the people in the country to even be able to try and uh, read the detail of the recommendations. You know, um, we have asked for it in English, but it hasn't been provided uh, to date. Rosie, keep fighting the good fight. And thank you so much we for will. taking time out to talk to us today. I really enjoyed our chat. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is uh, Rosie Bissett, CEO of the Dyslexia Association of Ireland. As I say, check out their website. They really have a a great website. Uh, If you have anyone in your household who has dyslexia or you think may may have dyslexia. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork today on C103. To protect, brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out ours to protect.ie for more info. This week on Arts to Protect, we speak to Dara O'Neill of the Environmental Protection Agency about a host of research projects that have received funding for 2024. Scientific research and innovation are playing an increasingly important role in informing how governments and society can respond to the challenges posed by climate change and environmental degradation. The EPA has announced over 14 million euros worth of funding for 33 new research projects to address climate and environmental challenges. Dara explains why the funding is important. I think we're all familiar with climate change and the changes to our environment. Uh, environmental damage and I think we're also getting more familiar that that's happened to us now but also thinking about very much the future and we're hearing more about 2050 and what we're trying to achieve by then. So while there are things that we are doing now and we should be doing now, there's also a real need to understand that uncertainty into the future so that we can plan for that. We understand the impact and we can either plan, mitigate and address that as best we can with the best evidence that's available. So the EPA announced 4.3 million euros for 33 new research projects and these are all going to be focused on areas related to climate, the environment and our transition to sustainability. The 33 research projects are across various institutions and organisations in Ireland with most of them based in the higher education sector, so in universities and technological universities but some also being done by researchers in SMEs and in charitable organisations and they really do span a very wide range of different areas, some addressing climate change, others looking at environment damage, others how we transition to a green and circular economy and some looking at the impact of environmental change on human health. But all of them very much focused on informing policy and decision making so that we have the best evidence to make those informed decisions. A key element of the projects being funded is the need for societal transformation in our approach to tackling climate change. The issue of climate change is one that must be tackled across society, not solely through top-down measures. These include a transition to a circular economy, sustainability in our tourism and a focus on reducing air pollution. Last year we did put a special emphasis on societal transformation and supporting projects in 
this area and really trying to bring people together from different disciplines and different sectors. If we are going to make these changes and address climate change and these other challenges, we really do need a whole of society approach. And that's not saying that it's only the individual, but it's also private enterprise, it's government, and it's across government that we need that kind of change. And these are complex systems and they're complex problems. So research is really important to bring together those different stakeholders to understand the different drivers for each of those groups and to try and find, okay, where can we best and most effectively take action while trying to take into account the views of all those different groups in a really just and equitable way. And of course, there will be trade-offs and consequences and it's to understand what those might be as we start to implement any actions into the future. An important element of the research is collaboration with both other agencies and research institutions. The EPA research programme and the EPA more broadly, I mean part of our purpose is really to work with others in the protection of the environment and EPA research has a long and established relationship with many public agencies including Metairn and Geological Survey of Ireland and this year they're providing additional funding to these project in areas that are of mutual interest to the three agencies. So one of the projects actually that all three of the agencies are contributing to, for example, is around groundwater Groundwater is a really important resource for us where our drinking water comes from. It's groundwater levels impact the levels in our lakes and our rivers and also sustain ecosystems in our wetlands and in other places. And this project now is looking at updating the state of knowledge that we currently have about our groundwater and the groundwater levels, but also looking into the future at different climate change scenarios and how that will impact the groundwater levels. And that will then inform how we plan, how we manage those critical resources into the future. A lot of the research expertise is within our university sector and within the technological universities. So we really want to leverage the ongoing and long-standing investment in research to ensure that we're getting the outcomes that we want from that investment in research, in particular in the area of the environment and climate. Critically as well, there's a whole skills development aspect to our investment in these projects as well, as well as the actual outputs from the projects, which will inform policy. There'll also be outputs in terms of people who've developed skills, whether they be postdoctoral researchers or, for example, PhD students who will be then maybe staying in research, but also going into other sectors and bringing that really deep expertise and those specialist skills so that we can fully leverage the opportunities of this transition to a more sustainable future. If you would like to find out more about the projects that have received funding, check the show notes of this episode. Ours to Protect, brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out ours to protect.ie for more info. Your comments and calls coming into the programme. Let me go to dyslexia first, which we discussed in the last hour. And thank you to Margaret, who is a recently retired teacher. So she's somebody very much in the know. She says, in relation to dyslexia assessments for children, a school of, say, 300 children, they are only allowed two assessments per year. So in the case of primary schools, most schools will give the help to the child without a diagnosis and the older children, they try to push forward the older children to get the assessment so that they would be able to get the help they required when they move on into second level. Do you know, Patricia, that the level of special ed support to schools was cut as of last week? I wasn't aware of that. So from next September, many schools will have less support available to give to those 
children. It is so unfair. From a parent's perspective, concentrate on boosting your child's self-esteem. Remember, the dyslexic child has lots of other strengths. So look at what they can do as well as what they can't, says Margaret. Well, well put. You sound like you were a very kind and caring uh, teacher. And she has uh, recently uh, retired. But I think what's interesting... In Margaret's point, you know, a primary school of 300 children, which is, I take it, a typical primary school in this country, they only get two assessments per year. But when you listen to Rosie Bissett from the Dyslexic Association of Ireland, uh, the international statistics are there that show about 10% of the population are born with dyslexia. So you could take that out of a school of 300. It is possible that there are at least 30 children in that school who will have been born with dyslexia and yet the school has the really difficult task of just picking two to go forward for assessment unless parents can decide to go privately and I can understand why parents now are deciding to go uh, privately and get the assessment done because the earlier you get that diagnosis the earlier the child understands that it's not that they're stupid because I can't remember that gentleman's name who we spoke with who turned out he only got his dyslexia diagnosis as an adult but like he spoke about his school days being absolutely horrific because he thought he was just absolutely stupid because he couldn't read or write properly and it turned out it was because of his dyslexic he had dyslexia but didn't know it when he was in school which was very common up to a number of years ago so I think when children get identified they need the diagnosis as quickly as possible so that the child understands the teachers understand the parents understand and then you can have that child going forward Now in the middle of my chat with Rosie Bissett it came up something I only discovered yesterday it was an Oireachtas committee meeting on the Irish language it was held at the start I think it was only recent it was only last week it was the start or the week before it was the start of of, uh, February, and the recommendation coming from the Oireachtas Committee on the Irish Language is to look at uh, getting rid of this ban that's in place. If a child is diagnosed with dyslexia, they can be exempt from learning the Irish language, which is very understandable. And there's now a recommendation to stop to stop that ban being put in place and to force children with dyslexia to continue with the Irish language, which makes absolutely no sense to me at all. Uh, Breitha in Fairhill contacted the programme, listening to me talk to Rosie Bissett and said that is so wrong. When the government are trying to promote the Irish language so much and we are saying that those with dyslexia are admitted, how is that fair? And I just, I saw that comment come in and I just thought... Brenda, did you listen to the interview I did with Rosie Bissett who outlined how difficult it is, particularly children who are on the higher scale of dyslexia, who have the most severe form of it, how difficult it is for them to learn the English language without aside from trying to force them to learn the Irish language at the same time. That's why that exemption has been in place. It is recognised for dyslexic children in order to help them with their education allow them to opt out of the Irish class and let them concentrate instead on the English language, which they're going to need for all of the other subjects that they do throughout school. So I don't know how in any way you can claim that it is unfair on dyslexic children to admit them from the class because that's exactly what the child and their parents want. And then on the whole, that then kind of started a discussion about the Irish uh, language. John in Formoy said, did anybody see Ivan Yates and his view on the Irish language? I feel we should be promoting the language more and not dissing it. Now, what John in Formoy, I didn't see the programme, but I did see it up online. It was earlier this week, the broadcaster and businessman Ivan Yates, and indeed 
a former Minister for Agriculture. He was a guest on the six o'clock show on Virgin Media TV and he was another guest on the same programme was the wonderful native Irish speaker, Sheila Shoiga. And I have to say, I love to hear the Shoiga sisters speak Irish. I unfortunately don't have fluency in the Irish language, but I love to hear people speak the Irish language because I think it's an absolutely beautiful language. So Ivan Yates was asked for his views on the Irish language and this is what he had to say. Irish language, I feel everyone... It's kind of doing it now. You are... Tommy Exilum Gaelga Arish. Yeah. I think she... Yeah, what... what yeah. Are you kind of Gaelga? <laughs> I couldn't be arsed to learn Irish. And I'm sorry about it if you're offended. And all this money... Boo. we put, All this money we put into it. And there's only 16,000 people in the country speak it naturally. See, I'm not I, against it. I know. Every Ivan. 40 seconds a native language dies. Okay. So what? I mean, isn't Rest that such a peace. sad thought? I'm not, I'm not no, absolutely gonna, not. So, so, I don't so, accept it. I'm not even going to have this debate with Ivan. No. This is what he does. Do it live. We have time. They just told me. <laughs> he just likes to wind people up. Yeah. Now, that was the outpouring uh, that happened on that particular show, the six o'clock show. Now, I do have to question Ivan Yates's figures when he says only 16,000 people in the country are speaking uh, Irish, because looking at the census, our last census in 2022, now, around 1.83 million people said they could speak Irish. Now, I do question that figure, I have to say, because 1.83 million are people who may, like myself, just have the couple of fuckle that we remember from school, but certainly I wouldn't class myself as a native Irish speaker. But the breakdown in the census said 10% of people say they speak Irish very well and a further 32% say they can speak it well. There was, I did see a high enough figure on people, about a third of those numbers, I think, say they speak the Irish language every day. So we accept that they are certainly uh, native Irish uh, speakers. But Ivan Yates, following that programme, there was an outpouring on social media against Ivan Yates and people defending the Irish language. And he came out afterwards and said, look, he's no problem with the likes of Sheila Shoigar or anyone else who is a Grail Gore. But he says, I think we need to have an adult conversation about the resources that we allocate to the Irish language. So we're asking you your thoughts on this. Do we allocate too much resources to the Irish language? He says, would the resources committed to Irish be better if it was allocated to healthcare or to childcare? He thinks we need a national debate And he said, not coming from the ones and the people in the organisations who always get defensive every time it is mentioned that we dumb down on the Irish uh, language. And then just some examples of money that is spent on the Irish language. Just October last year, the Gwaeltoc ministers, Catherine Martin and Patrick O'Donovan, they announced 2.18 million in funding and that was to strengthen the Irish language in uh, schools. And there is also a 20-year strategy that's run by the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gwaeltoc, Sport and Media. God, can they put any more into that department? So they have this 20-year strategy to try to improve the language in uh, not just in areas of education, but also in the media, in economics, family and uh, social life. And they're trying to promote it outside of Gwaeltacht uh, areas. But some issues do remain and I wasn't aware of this. Seemingly there is a scarcity of teachers for the Gwail Skulls and we've a lot of Gwail Skulls in this uh, country. Now one of the reasons is that teaching through Irish language uh, there used to be allowances for any 
teacher who taught through the Irish language and obviously that was encouraging people and encouraging teachers to look at teaching through the Irish language if they were going to get paid more but they haven't been reinstated I take it they were cut during the downturn and then of course only this week we had a protest in Dublin by young people who live in the Gwaeltocht area and who want to live in Gwaeltocht regions saying they have a huge problem that there's a housing shortage in the Gwaeltocht areas so if we're trying to encourage more people to go into the Gwaeltocht area to end up being native Irish speakers, we could be at a loss because there's not enough houses. But how do you feel? Are you with Ivan Yates on this, that we're wasting money and that the money that is put into the Irish language, could we be using that somewhere else? Your thoughts welcome to 0818 103 103. Uh, John Paul taking your calls. And just an update from the Gardaí is just coming in. Gardaí have charged the man who was arrested as part of the investigation into the murder of Michael Foley who was found uh, deceased in McCroom uh, last week. The man is due to appear before Bandon District Court and the investigations are ongoing. But a man has been arrested as part of that murder into the late Michael Foley. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, making Cork County the place to live, work, visit and invest in. See corkcoco.ie. Now, a fundraising poker classic. This is in aid of the Sensory Garden for Chandram National School is going to be held at eight, 9 o'clock tonight and it's in Ned's Bar in Newtown. Tully Lee's drama group representing Two Loves of Gabriel Foley, the three-act comedy. It's by Jimmy Carey in Tully Lee's Hall. It opens tonight and it runs Friday and Sunday night at 8. Um, and it is on... OK, it's running Friday and Sunday at 8, nightly over three weekends up to Sunday the 3rd of March. Bingo is on in the GAA complex tonight. That's got an 8 o'clock start and the jackpot is €4,800. And Marion has just ended texting to say Middleton GAA Bingo is on tonight as usual at half past uh, 7. And women are invited to celebrate International Women's Day which is happening on Friday the 8th of March, so three weeks today with luncheon aid of the Greater Chernobyl Cause. It'll be in the Kingsley Hotel at 1. Music with Fiona Kennedy along with a gala action and a raffle. Tickets 60 euro are limited so please contact Fiona at 87 And as we mentioned when we were chatting with Peter Dowdell on our gardening slot on Wednesday, you can enjoy a Snowdrop Garden Open Day in aid of CUH Charity this Sunday. It's at Bride Park Cottage in Columny from 11am to 5pm. Admission is €10. Teas, coffees and light refreshments will be available as well as plant sales, an antique seg and a raffle. Cork Today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. C103. Now let's get an update from Trish in Kinsale, who we spoke with earlier in the week, who was desperately frustrated with the problems she was having with uh, Vodafone and they had cut off her landline. And when we were speaking to Trish on Tuesday, she was hanging out a window because it was the only place where she could get more mobile coverage on her phone in Kinsale. Uh, she joins me, hopefully not hanging out the window. Please tell me, Trish, you're on a landline. No, no. <laughs> I have the window wide open because I feel spring in the air. It's a beautiful day out, actually. Yeah, it's a bit yeah. dull, but I feel spring and the birds are singing in my chimney, which Good. is another problem. Oh. <laughs> 
God. Despite oh, the cows. But, uh, no, the landline is working. Um, unfortunately, it's not my usual. It's not my own landline number. OK. Uh, there was an engineer to call yesterday that um, I actually cancelled because they rang me. And once I said the, the line was working, but apparently to get my own number back, they have to come to the house. So they've reconnected you, but with it's a different... It's quite usual on a reconnection to have a different landline number for a few days. Oh, OK. But I... it's crackling a lot as I... it rings. There's something. It sounds something is different. It's not the best line. Even but I sounds... have a landline. I can talk to my children without being up on the window ledge. And, that's, and that is very much the important thing. It's all the thing. difference now. I've, I've, uh, you know, it's amazing how it knocks you down. Something simple, but... But having your original number is important because yeah, every, well, every, I, well, I'm under about six consultants. Yeah, and every, everyone number, has that anyway, number. Look, yeah. I'm happy. I'm I'm happy, and in fact, I, the girl uh, dealing with the Siobhan from Vodafone, they're amazing when you get through in Ireland. Yeah, amazing. She's uh, going to get the, the technician coming next Friday to try and improve. I don't know how they do it. But uh, maybe they'll build me an extension um, to get better reception on my mobile. Oh. I don't want a mast in my front garden. No, 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 we don't want anything. (laughs) But that'll be interesting if they can do that. Well, if I don't know how they do it, because um, I don't think even prayer would work, but I'm optimistic. And do other people in your area have bad reception? You'd be amazed. You'd be be amazed how many people heard me. My new status, the disabled celebrity of Kinsale. <laughs> um, no, five people through a friend let me know they dropped phone phone because of the same problem. Oh, yeah, there's, a, there's an issue. With, yeah, there's, and there's an issue with Signal. Now, did Siobhan also guarantee to you that your billing issue has been sorted? Yeah, um, in fact, I think they're letting me off again this month. See, the problem is I haven't actually paid for a few months because they keep giving me credit. Oh. But I prefer to pay. Yeah, they do that. They do that. If if you can prove to them that they're wrong with something, they're quite generous in saying, yeah. we'll, we'll give you... But I prefer, I've, I've, I, I, know. I pay my bills the day after getting them. I'm yeah. that type. I don't want credit. I want service, you know? Yeah, you want a service you can rely on, but you're... you're ba- but I'm happy out. I'm actually here now trying to organise, a, a planning a Barbie day for my granddaughter. A Barbie day? A Barbie day. Are you going to dress up in pink? I probably will. Well, well done. Come here, what's the problem with the birds in your chimney? Oh, there's birds singing, but this is the... I don't often light a fire. I haven't oh. lit a fire since I had a Brazilian visitor a few years ago. Uh, but the birds, I'm, I hear it in my bedroom. I don't mind. Yeah, that's, it, can can be a ni- it can be a nice food. sound. It, uh, I hear them singing yeah. in my bedroom, but I actually don't mind. I'm afraid to get my chimney cleaned for years because... I don't want to kill anything. Okay. <laughs> I actually put food down, seed in the grate. Oh. So I think I'm probably the problem. You're, pro- you're attracting them. I'm attracting <laughs> them, but who minds a few birds? And Camille, will you, and as you say, it's, and the forecast is for some nice bright sunny spells yes. for the afternoon. Will you be able to get out today at all? To be honest now, to be honest, I, I, my original problem, I slipped a knife and then I had horrendous time. I ended up with about 12 surgeries. Okay. So my left foot is not functioning, really. So do you get out at all? No, I I, ha- uh, I go out once a week. I, uh, I usually go to hospital appointments, but I've been dropped now by the HSE, to be honest. I've been told nothing more we can do. So uh, I can't wear a shoe on my left foot for more than an hour. 
So if you know any healers in West Cork, because <laughs> conventional medicine has not worked. I know. That's tough going. And, and so because of the COPS, uh, I can't... Uh, amputation, I'd be the type that would have phantom pains. God, that's, t- you that's tough going. You had a young girl on a yeah. while ago, the girl who attempted to self... Uh, yeah, who to, to I missed cut. an update on her. I think of her so often. She cut her own finger off, didn't yeah, she? I, yeah, I, yeah. You know, well, listen, yeah. I actually sent an email into you that I totally understood. Yeah. But I often think for did you ever have a follow-up? Sorry, I now. can't, yeah, I can't. I'd have to check in with John Paul. Yeah, yeah no I worries, remember that. But yeah. I often think of her. Um, yeah. And I just want to say now, there's an awful lack of uh, care for people with CRPS. This, the CRPS in is chronic. Country, America, you have to go to Arkansas. Can you believe that? CRPS is chronic. Complex, complex regional, regional pain, pain syndrome. syndrome. Yeah. It's like you. It's like my foot is on fire. Yeah, and you live with that twenty four seven, and nothing uh, revi- relieves yeah. it. But the shocking thing is that the amount of people in the country diagnosed with this—they're yeah. in contact with me, you know, uh, I online. Think, yeah, I think Joe Duffy had yeah. got days out of it. Yeah, at there's one no time. care. Just, uh, uh, just you know, there's people with chronic pain that don't realise they have it. Yeah. Just a word in. Okay, but you you're bright and breezy. Oh, actually. I am because I have my phone back. Yeah, but you, you you have a good outlook on life. I miss my life desperately. I was Do a you? nurse, a community nurse with men- medically challenged children. And you miss forty that. years nursing, and that went in a flash. I'd still be doing it as old as I am. I'm I'm sixty nine now, but uh, sixty nine is not old. They were my those kids kept me going. Yeah, you know, uh, afterwards. Because what I saw their families go through and what they were going through, I thought it's only a foot, you know. You're incredible. You're no, incredible. anytime. We will, I do well, have we'll, my days. Well, we'll we will keep in contact with you. But yeah. good to know. Um, kudos to to Vodafone. It's it's a shame that we had to go to the Lens to, to get the the local radio no, involved. I, but we're I, delighted I'm to so do it. So grateful because people mightn't realise what a nightmare it is. Yeah, and and how I valuable. Slept, I slept five hours, which is a miracle for me. Uh, after I got the landline reconnected. Because the stress was gone. Yeah, and I'm not a stressful person. I'm not. Well, you don't sound like you I are. get angry, frustrated, but I don't get depressed, thank God. Good on you. Listen, so, mind listen, yourself. have a lovely weekend. You, too. you too. And enjoy, enjoy your Barbie day. If you stood for a political party, you and John Paul, you'd <laughs> race it. <laughs> God bless. God bless. And you enjoy too. your Barbie days. She's lovely. She's just an absolute dote. That is our Trish in uh, Kinsale. And uh, well done to John Paul. But a lot of work in the background getting onto Vodafone. But to Siobhan and Vodafone, whoever Siobhan is, thank you, thank you, uh, thank you. That's all we need is dealing with somebody who can realise how important this landline is to Trish. For the majority of us, if the landline, to be honest, I can't even tell you the last time I picked up my landline if it was disconnected in the morning, I probably wouldn't even realise it was disconnected. But for somebody with mobility issues like Trish, it is her lifeline, literally. 0818103103. Just a couple of other issues I want to go back to. Uh, remember Jim came on from the city and he was giving out about the fact that the Taunashta had given the 20 million euro yesterday to UNRWA. Uh, 
uh, to help out uh, those poor people in uh, Gaza. Uh, Breathe says, Patricia, I'm fuming listening to that fella, Jim. I don't even know where to start. That's that's just like us, isn't it? Turn the blind eye. My God, we have to help those poor people and what is happening to them in uh, Gaza. As to turning the blind eye, that's why we have animal cruelty happening in this country in people's backyards. It's in plain sight of others. But guess what? We, the Irish, are great at turning a blind eye. That's from Breathe. Hi, Patricia. What about the 22 million that was uh, awarded for cycle lanes by Dublin City Council? 28 million for sport. 800,000 bringing Ukrainian house pets to Ireland discussed in the Dáil and no mention of housing all of the homeless of all nationalities where we where they're doing their bit and they're trying to build houses I was looking at the houses that were built last year in 2023 and according to the Central Statistics Office world for a bunch of people numbers of houses built last year 32,695 and that actually was an increase on 10% and the, the last quarter of 2023 there was a 30 percent at rise so they are build, trying to build but the problem is we're just playing catch up and of course we already did an interview this year this week on trying to get builders to come back from overseas we need more people to build and one final one we're a small country we need to look after our own first and the government should keep out of all of these wars it's only an excuse so they can bypass the problems that are at home 0818 103 103 let's take a break and we'll talk movies with Mark Malone some movie suggestions for the weekend Mark Malone good morning good afternoon Mark hi Patricia you're very welcome now two movies is, is it our Argyle, is that how I'm pronouncing this? Argyle. Argyle is the first movie and Night Swim is the second. A trailer from Argyle. Who are these people? Real life spies. I'm a writer. Why would they care about me? Because you're a fortune teller, Ellie. What you wrote in your Argyle series turned out to be real. And now actual spies are after you. It's time to meet the real Agent Argyle. Oh, my God. I have to say, I don't know much about this. What's this? Um, it's a kind of spy thriller, I think. Uh, it's uh, written and directed by Matthew Vaughan, who uh, in the past has been kind of um, best known for making really, really violent movies uh, like Kick-Ass, for example, and Kingsman. Now, I don't know if you ever saw Kingsman or not. but if they're you know, very violent, no. They're extraordinarily violent, yeah, yeah, and especially Kingsman, yeah. And the thing is, is that when I when I watched that film, I thought, you know, this would be, if they took all the violence out, this would be a really, really nice kind of family kind of action movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's about a young man who is uh, brought into the, the world of super spies. Do you know what I mean? And and I thought, yeah, yeah, it's very, very good. It's not bad. But then, of course, the violence happens. And you know, there was a scene in the film. Anybody who has seen Kingsman will know. There's a scene with Colin Firth where he goes into a church, a very, very crowded church, and decides to just basically kill everybody inside in the church because, you know, they were what he considered to be kind of these right-wing kind of, you know, politically kind of unacceptable kind of uh, people. And uh, he, he kills every single one of them. Now, it's an extraordinary scene. It really is. But it, if that was in, I don't know, Kill Bill or something, then you would kind of accept it. But again, I thought, you know, uh, Kingsman would have been a very nice kind of family film if they had taken all the violence out. So he's obviously learned from that somewhat. And he decided he was going to make this film another kind of a spy movie. And he was going to do it for his uh, his kids because he wanted to make a film that his kids uh, could see. Well, I'd like to have brought my kid along to see Kingsman, but I couldn't because of the extraordinary violence. So, you know, maybe he has uh, learned his lesson. Unfortunately, the film hasn't done particularly well. And I think for that reason, I get the impression that a lot of young men went to see the film expecting 
expecting typical Matthew Vaughan violence and didn't get it in any oh. way, shape or form. You know what I mean? Uh, so it hasn't really done that very well at uh, the box office. But I think there's a number of reasons for that. I think it's a very, very frustrating film. Like the opening sequence is very, very odd and very, very weird um, where um, uh, we see Argyle played here by uh, Henry Cavill and uh, there's a very very strange action sequence uh, which involves him Dua Lipa and John Cena and um, the it's a very very strange film in the sense that uh, a sequence in that it's a very very bad CGI it makes absolutely no sense we then realise in fact that none of that is real that it's in fact part of a story and uh, Bryce Dallas Howard is telling the story she is uh, a novelist so of course the first thing you think is okay well Matthew Vaughan has seen Romancing the Stone and in fact he said that uh, what he was trying to do, he was trying to make uh, this film like a lot of the action movies of the 80s, for example, like mm. Die Hard. This is nothing like Die Hard, I can assure you of that. The amount of CGI in this is, is really, really quite uh, extraordinary. I think the other reason why I think the film hasn't done very well is basically clickbait, because if you do look at the trailer, the trailer looks as though it's a buddy movie. It looks as though it's a movie that will star Henry Cavill and John Cena and Dua Lipa, and you might think, well, because they completely feature in the trailer. They're hardly in the movie. Oh. I want to make that quite clear. You might think that's a spoiler. No, I want, I want people to know that if you think that's why you're going to see the film, well, so, you'd be you'd be disappointed. So, you had people going to the film expecting a, a Matthew Vaughan violence, which they don't get. They were expecting to see Henry Cavill and John Cena. They don't get that. But what they do get is a frustrating film, which does have some extraordinary kind of action sequences. Most of the film revolves around Bryce Dallas Howard, who is a, a novelist, uh, but she's a novelist with a bit of a secret. And if you've seen The Long Kiss Goodnight, which obviously Matthew Vaughan has, then you'll know what I'm talking <laughs> about. If you haven't seen the film, well good, because I don't want to tell anybody what that is all about. Uh, the next sequence, she's finding it difficult to, um, to, to, to finish her book. She's on a train and she meets Sam Rockwell. Uh, they are then attacked by uh, all these other agents uh, from all over the world. It turns out, it's a very, on very good train. scene. On the train. <laughs> and then I think, oh, okay, well Matthew Vaughan has seen Bullet Train, yeah, which we saw yeah. a couple of years ago. Uh, but it's a very, very good sequence and uh, it's good to see Sam Rockwell on screen again because, I don't know if you remember, during, during lockdown, he made a film with Saoirse Ronan called uh, See How They Run. I do. It's kind of I an Agatha yeah. history kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, he, and he was dreadful in that yeah. movie. And, but, but here he is. He's back to form again. And I always like to see him on screen. And some of the sequences involving him and Bryce Dallas Howard are, are very, very exciting indeed. And I really, really did uh, enjoy that. Uh, the next problem, though, with the film is that as the film is, is progressing, there are an awful lot of plot twists. And so whilst you're getting involved in the film, you're getting involved in the story, becoming invested in the characters, investing in, in the storyline – it suddenly stops and there's a plot twist and the whole thing is just turned on its head. And then there's about 10 minutes of exposition where people explain why this has happened. And that is incredibly frustrating because, you know, all of your expectations all just just come to an end constantly, constantly, constantly. And it becomes very, very frustrating because of that. And it's it's it's, it's a shame because there are some really, really good action sequences. The film looks amazing, but there are some action sequences with an awful lot of CGI. It looks like a cartoon and it's very silly. There's a scene, for example, where Bryce Dallas Howard is on ice skates and she's killing people on the ice skates while she's she's circling around. You just think this is very, very, very silly. And I think that's possibly why it did bomb at the box office. I mean, this thing cost nearly $100 million to make. I think it got about $60 million. And it's where I think... Um, you know, it's one of those situations, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons why um, 
uh, movies are successful is because people talk about the movie afterwards and then it gets out there. Yeah, word and of that mouth. causes other people word to go mouth. along. Like Jaws yeah. is the per- per- perfect example. When yeah. Jaws came out, they didn't expect it to be uh, very successful. I think Universal put it into a couple of cinemas expecting, well, yeah. you know, it'll die, it'll, it'll fade away. Word of mouth went out and people, of course, Huge. went to see it and yeah. then they had to put it on more cinemas. I think after a very good opening weekend, I think word of mouth said, this is not really Great. what we're looking for, especially the fans. There's an awful lot to enjoy here. Some of it is terrific. Some of it is very exciting. Some of it is great to see. But there's an awful lot of nonsense here. OK, and too long? Two hours, 20 minutes. <sighs> Goodness gracious. Mark it out of 10? Um, I'll give it six. Ooh, six out of 10. For the good bits. That is Argyle. Now, your second movie that you watched for us is described as a horror thriller. And this is Night Swim. Yeah, this is from Blumhouse uh, Productions. Now, the thing about Blumhouse that I love compared to what we've just talked about, Blumhouse make very, very small movies, but they are incredibly well made and produced. They don't look cheap. They make movies between 10 and 15 million dollars. And they're hugely successful. And the question you have to ask yourself, well, why is that? Why is that they can do it? Why is it they're making movies for $250 million? They then have to make a billion dollars to try and make a profit. And they don't. And over the last couple of years, we've seen so many movies fail. I think what Blumhouse do is there's a couple of reasons why it works. First of all, they use very little CGI. CGI is hugely expensive. But it's just the lazy way of doing it. You know, Mm. getting people in front of a big green screen that we can change or do anything we want instead of going on location. And is that hugely expensive? The problem is that there are only four or five really good CGI companies Ah, in the world and they are very, very busy so they can charge whatever they they want. So that's why it's hugely expensive. The other thing, of course, is that uh, is is wage bills because actors nowadays get paid huge amounts of money. I think The Rock for his next film is getting $50 million. That's crazy. And then he'll get... Before they shoot a scene. Exactly. And then you get 20% of any of of the profits. How can can studios make movies and see that as as kind of a a, a, a compatible operating work practice? It will kill the industry though if it keeps Going. And it is killing the industry, yeah. and that's the problem. So Blumhouse get very fine actors who are not huge superstars. They pay them a very, very good wage. They get a very good director. They get good writers, mainly young kind of writers, young directors, and they make very, very solid movies, which are very successful for small budgets. Well like, like recently, they had Megan, for example, which they made for ten oh, million dollars. Yeah, that was a great movie. That made hundred million dollars. Yeah. It was a very good movie. The Invisible Man, which is one yeah. they made a couple of years ago, where they used real effects. Like if the Invisible Man was walking through, you know a room he would bump into things and they'd do it the old way with kind of fishing lines and stuff like that yeah. and so here we have Night Swim it stars Wyatt Russell who is the son of Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn by the way and our own um, uh, Kerry Condon, Condon. Love Kerry Condon. And it's basically the story of he's a, he's a basketball player. He has a degenerative uh, disease. The doctors tell him, look, you know, buy a house with a swimming pool and the swimming will help you. So they, bo- they move to this new town, this new house. It's got a swimming pool. They discover that, in fact, the, 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 the pool takes its water from an underground spring in the area, which is actually very, very has health-giving properties. And as he is swimming, he finds that his body kind of responds to that. At one stage, there's an awful lot of putting hands down drains, which is kind of scary for me anyway and he does cut his hand a couple of days later he realises the cut is absolutely gone so he loves that but unfortunately the pool is haunted there is something in that pool and but the other members of the family is they have a completely different kind of experience with the pool for him it's positive for him it's completely negative because there is something in that Sinister. pool indeed Whoa. yeah and so and it not only is it a physical thing but it's a mental thing and it causes them terrible kind of mental anguish uh, as well and 
it's all very, very well professionally done. Now, again, like the first film, I think when people went to it, there's a lot of people out there who want their horror movies to be that. Loads of blood, loads of horror, loads of scares. But if you look at uh, Megan and if you look at The Invisible Man, these are kind of PG-13 horrors, as this film is. Okay. And for me, who doesn't like horror movies, who's a bit of a scaredy cat, yeah. I'm a very sensitive man, Patricia. For me, I enjoyed it because okay. it was actually a family drama with some scares. And when it is scary, it is scary. Do you know what I mean? And for me, I ended up enjoying it, I think, because of that, because I don't like horror. But I thought it was a very solid an hour and a half film. Well done. Um, beautifully acted. Kerry Condon is terrific. She's the star of the movie. I had worried that she was just simply going to be the wife. She's the star of the movie. Her American accent, by the way, considering her temporary accent is so heavy. Yeah. Her American accent is spot on. And she looks like the all-American wife and she is brilliant in this movie. Well done. Well yeah. done, Kerry Condon. Okay, yeah. so Night Swim, mark that out of 10. I'll give it eight. Is that in the cinema or is that on a streaming? Uh, that's a streaming, yeah. And it's, streaming. Not, it's not necessarily that cheap, I think. But, okay. Uh, but, well, uh, worth a watch. That. Yeah. All right, thank you for that, Mark. Okay. Have a lovely week and we will chat with Mark Malone, our movie reviewer again uh, next uh, week. Just some comments in on Ivan Yates and the Irish language that we mentioned uh, earlier. Um, Hi Patricia, Ivan Yates is taking a pension from the Irish state but yet he's prepared to diss our native Irish language. Not good. UCC runs Irish conversation classes for all comers every night of the week. I wasn't aware of that. And the classes are full so interest in our language is growing. It's not waning. Many children are immersed in going in Gaelic from preschool right to the end of their second level school. That's because of all of the Gael Scholar. And for some, they can even do their third level degree through the Irish language. Imagine if we told Ukrainians who settle here they need to drop their language. Why? Because it's only spoken in Ukraine. The Liberal Brigade would be very angry. And yet it seems to be acceptable to discuss throwing our own native language out the door. Ivan Yates's attitude is not in line with modern Ireland. In today's Ireland, a huge proportion of young, educated, successful men and women value our language and our culture. Ivan Yates needs to get with the programme. He sounds like an Irish version of Victor Meldrew from the well-known British uh, sitcom. There's someone very angry, well put together uh, text. Thank you for that. Someone else, uh, Dan says, Patricia, Irish is our native beautiful language, which I love. I am not now a fluent speaker, mainly due to the lack of opportunity to speak Irish regularly. However, I have a gold fonia in Irish. I got it at the age of 12. I've often resorted to speaking Irish with foreign friends when they go native. It always causes amazement among them. It's a part of what and who we are, says Dan. Don't diss the Irish language. Hi, Patricia. The money going into the Irish language will be better spent on our Garda Chiacona. They have the hardest job in the country trying to keep us all safe. And hi, Patricia, I disagree with Ivan Yates. The Irish language is part of our heritage, even though I don't speak Irish and I never liked Irish as a subject in secondary school, but it certainly does need funding. And that's where I leave you for today and indeed for this week. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon and we'll speak to you on Monday morning at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Enjoy your weekend. Court today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Court. GAA club football leagues and championships for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie